buzzword lately, like Robin Conti and John Smith, contributor and editor respectively at Forbes say, from art to music to tacos and toilet paper, these digital assets are selling like the 17th century exotic Dutch tulips, some for millions of dollars. I agree. So what are these NFTs? Where do you mint or buy one? Can you borrow money against it? Can it be stolen? This and much more in a podcast by Raghubala, CEO of NetObjects. Welcome to the Digital Navigator and an episode on all you wanted to know about NFTs. Enjoy listening to this podcast. Good morning, Raghu. How is the weather at uh, Orange County today? Irvine, right? Irvine, California. So Irvine, it's California. nice and sunny in Southern California as always. Um, we've had a kind of unseasonably cold uh, spring, but usually it gets nice and warm. Uh, maybe because <laughs> I, I kind of joke around because of COVID, there's not much uh, traffic and other things have died down. Maybe the smog was keeping us warm, but <laughs> and now that <laughs> the air is clear, it has uh, become a little bit cooler, but it's, uh, you know, very few places in the world are as beautiful as Southern California. So for those who are listening, uh, and whenever you want to visit Southern California, drop a note. I'm happy to show you around. It's a beautiful place. Excellent. Excellent. So on this lovely morning, I want to start uh, with the subject that we all are very curious about. And uh, I call this everything you need to know about non-fungible tokens. So let me quickly, you know, get into the subject itself. Um, NFTs today are a buzzword uh, in the blockchain crypto world. You know, uh, what with artists converting their work into NFTs, billionaires creating NFTs out of tweets and songs and what have you. So my first question this morning to you, Raghu, is what are NFTs and why have they become so popular? So first of all, I want to kind of uh, step back and talk about tokens and then I'll talk about non-fungible tokens. So tokens are uh, cryptocurrency and this cryptocurrency can uh, represent some value. So most of the cryptocurrency out in the world, a lot of them, you know, I, I uh, sorry to say a lot of them don't have really any tangible value because they don't have a tangible project or purpose behind them. But then for those uh, tokens which have a purpose behind them, those tokens have got, you know, uh, real value to a lot of people and those tokens merit uh, investing in and so on. So so in tokens, there are actually three varieties, but let's talk about the two, two most popular varieties, fungible tokens and non-fungible tokens. So in the case of fungible tokens, it's similar to saying that I've got a dollar bill and you have got a dollar bill. So now, Anita, uh, if I were to exchange my dollar bill with you, the only difference is this insignificant thing called the serial number. The serial number on my dollar bill and your dollar bill might, might, be, might differ. And that only comes into question when there are counterfeit bills and all that. Let's just set that aside for a second. So there's no real difference in value. Your dollar bill is equal to my dollar bill. That's a fungible token. Non-fungible token means, uh, if, let's say you have a non-fungible token, NFT, and I have a non-fungible token, NFT, then uh, my non-fungible token might represent my car and your non-fungible token represents your car. 
So let's say that you have a more expensive car and I have a less expensive car. So now we cannot just swap those tokens uh, one for one because they represent different values. So that's the world of non-fungible tokens. So most of the initial uh, foray into tokenization of assets was in terms of uh, fungible tokens. That's the kind of boom that we saw in 2017. And then we went into something called the crypto winter in 2018, 19, and part of 20. And then second half of 2020, it kind of took off again. And now uh, one of the concepts that people have started to realize value is the concept of fungible, uh, non-fungible tokens, which is uh, associating tokens with certain classes of assets. Uh, I have my own reasons to believe that that's because in the US at least, um, you know, these fungible tokens have been, for the most part, considered as securities. And so exchanging in fungible tokens has become very difficult. So people have turned their attention to non-fungible tokens, which is um, harder to prove that it's a security. It's more of a, um, uh, you know, uh, it's a still an asset, but it's tied to usually some sort of uh, work um, of art or memorabilia or something of value. Uh, so now your question was, why are non-fungible tokens uh, hot all of a sudden? Actually, uh, net objects, for example, started working non-fungible tokens <clears throat> about uh, in about 2018. And uh, they are hot now because, A, I think, you know, people, because of the security laws, and at least in America, people have turned their attention to them. Second, there was a kind of a milestone project, which is Dapper Labs and NBA starting to um, uh, tokenize their assets in the form of non-fungible tokens that uh, caught the attention of a lot of the millennials and everyone is sort of hot about uh, these videos and other things going on the NBA Top Shots uh, application such that um, that is uh, a watershed moment that caused uh, the world of non-fungible tokens to take off. So, so usually there's a catalyst for something to take off and that was the catalyst. Now everyone is jumping on board in terms of artists, in terms of uh, you know art, uh, art uh, you know the you know painters and other people who create art, uh, memorabilia owners and other folks. Even there was a case of a guy trying to place his house on on uh, as in the form of an NFT for sale, and and actually, and that's not such a crazy idea as it sounds. Um, and, and so and net objects itself has got several use cases, but I'll talk about that later, but that's, uh, the, the key moment of the NBA top shots, uh, project. And then now almost everyone is beginning to realize the value that non-fungible tokens uh, bring to the table, because what happens is they literally, uh, create a liquidity for a very illiquid market. And whenever you create liquidity that tends to create a lot of transactions. And then the speculators, and that gets the market going. So that's the reason why it's hot. Okay. It's clear now in my mind as to where this entire craze started. And, you know, when you hear about those uh, people artwork going at that eye-watering numbers, now I can kind of get where, you know, it's coming from. So uh, help me understand, you know, where and how can you mint uh, NFT token or, or buy an NFT token? I, I think there are two sides of the coin, right? Yes. So 
So the minting of an NFT token is more of an engineering exercise in the sense that you any, anyone who knows the uh, you know uh, coding and other things can mint an NFT token. Now the question is whether that NFT token has got any. Uh, when I actually I'm saying NFT token to make it easier for listeners to understand, but now on fungible token NFT. So I don't need to use the word token again. But anyway, whenever you mint an NFT, you uh, anyone can mint it but the question is whether it's got any value and uh, what it's tied to uh, where can you buy one there are different ways and I, I'll, I'll i'll also bias it with my own opinion so initially what happened was nfts were sold on certain websites like uh, rarify super rare and OpenSea, and so on and these are marketplaces so the way for listeners to understand is these are equivalent of your eBay uh, of, or Amazon, where almost every product uh, is sold. It's a kind of a flea market of products. At <laughs> net objects, what we are doing is somewhat different. We don't think that uh, selling NFTs in a kind of a general marketplace, uh, like several other people, is the right way to go about it. It can be okay for a secondary sale. But for a primary sale, we are focusing on big brand names. And these brand names have got their brand equity to protect and so on. So we are creating customized storefronts. And the only way to get these NFTs is through these storefronts. So we believe that for branded goods, uh, those who have got some brand equity, they want to protect their user experience and how the NFT is displayed, shopped for, and things like that. And they don't want necessarily their competitors or other undesirable products to be mixed in with their offering. They would want these kind of uh, custom curated storefronts and that's the business that we are in. And then in the secondary market, whoever buys those tokens, just like you can buy something from a, you know, let's say Armani or a Gucci store and then you can go and sell it on eBay. Uh, there are always these sites that allow you to sell secondhand goods and we look at the uh, Rarify and Super Rare and Open Seas of the world as these flea markets for selling NFTs. So for us, there are sort of two sides of the coin. One is secondary market, one is the primary market. And we want to focus on the high premium primary market. I understand. Uh, when you say, you know, it's a high premium uh, super rare kind of a you know product. You you want that experience to be uh, equally good. So I get where you're coming from. Having said that, uh, they say uh, you know blockchain is safe and it's a single source of truth and all that. And I've also heard you say that you know NFTs enjoy uniqueness, tracking, transparency. Given that you know it, all this is a part of the blockchain. Now is my understanding correct or you know uh, can you? you know shed some light over this about the uniqueness tracking transparency piece which you know comes from the blockchain angle the way i look at nfts today uh, there is a way to issue nfts or mint nfts and there is a way not to do it and i feel most of the world is doing it somewhat uh, incorrectly so let me explain what i mean by that so nfts can be minted for any particular reason but usually it has to uh, maintain some tangible value. So for instance, if I mint an NFT about 
uh, a basketball uh, dunk that is uh, takes place on on NBA, and that's what NBA Top Shots is about. Then that video asset is what they are basing the NFT's value on. So if the video asset is something that is uh, rare and collectible and so on, then you could uh, potentially make a case that hey, you know what. Uh, this is uh, something that is pretty awesome that we got to, um, uh, you know, uh, we can base the value of the NFT based on this, this asset class. Now, the part that, that uh, most of the NFT creators are not focusing on is one of ownership. So what they're doing is they have a piece of asset, might be video, might be image, might be whatnot, might be a physical product. <clears throat> And then they are generating the NFT based on that. Now, um, there are two parts or maybe two or three parts that I'm not very convinced of with the current model. And I think NetObjects is taking some steps to, to, to value them a little bit better. So first of all, when you generate or mint an NFT based on some underlying asset, um, uh, first of all, you have to ensure that the underlying asset and the NFT are linked in some way. Uh, so someone cannot create counterfeit uh, versions of that NFT. Uh, so for example, a lot of people create these video assets or image assets and then create an NFT. Anyone can knock those off. So how do you prevent that? So there has to be some anti-counterfeiting technology that could be in the form of a overlay or a watermark or a tag uh, when it comes to physical assets, overlay on watermark for digital assets. That would link the NFT to the object. For example, NetObjects has got a customer called Gem Identity, which issues NFTs for diamonds. Every diamond is laser inscribed, and so the laser inscription matches the record in the NFT. So at least there's a kind of a tie between the physical and the uh, virtual or cyber world. The second part of it is that on ownership. So just because you mint an NFT and put it in someone's wallet. Um, currently the standard is if I own the NFT, if I have it in my wallet, that means I am the owner of the NFT. Now I want to challenge that assumption a little bit in the sense that, let's take the example of a um, uh, asset. Uh, let's say I've got a diamond. Uh, I want to uh, borrow against the diamond. So I go to a pawn shop and I say, I've got a diamond worth $1,000 and I want to borrow $500 against it. Pawn shop will hold the diamond, give you $500 and then give you a receipt. And then later on say that if you return the $500, I'll give you back your diamond. For the period that the pawn shop holds your diamond, that does not mean that they are the owner. They've got a lien against the diamond. And if you don't repay against certain conditions and terms and so on, then they will repossess the diamond. But as long as um, those conditions are met, maybe it might be interest and whatnot being paid, uh, you are still the owner of the diamond. Same thing happens in, in property ownership. You own a property and then you rent it out to someone. Someone occupying the property or having possession of the property does not mean that they own the property. So in the NFT marketplace currently, they've got this very weak assumption of ownership in the sense that someone who possesses the NFT means that they are the owner. And I challenge that assumption because for the example that I've shown, uh, possession does not mean ownership. So what we are trying to attempt to do is to link ownership to the NFT and also 
ensure that the linkage from NFT to the actual asset is uh, through some um, uh, technically um, uh, undefeatable method in the form of a, a watermark or a tag or something like that. So those two aspects are very important. Um, so anyway, uh, I hope that answers your question. It does, it does. So let me play, a, play devil's advocate here. Uh, so if possession is not ownership, uh, can NFTs be stolen or resold without my permission? So right now, what happens, yes, that's a good question. So right now, most people who are in the NFT and token space are somewhat sophisticated. They understand the concept of a wallet. They understand the concept of transferring the asset. But we do hear of break-ins and people, you know, maybe not protecting their wallets uh, and someone transferring uh, assets out of their wallet to some other wallet. And here comes the issue. And this is a kind of a dicey issue. And let me uh, state it very carefully. So the whole purpose of cryptocurrency and so on is it's based on anonymity. So if you look at the Swiss banking uh, system, it is very um, uh, known for its anonymity. So cryptocurrency banking system is like a Swiss banking system, this anonymity. So as long as you own a wallet, I own a wallet, nobody asks for your name, your address, or who you are, or whatever it might be. So, so that anonymity is good, but it's also bad in one way. It is bad in the sense that um, a lot of bad actors play in the system, like drug dealers or uh, you know uh, smugglers or other types of people who want to move money and so on they tend to misuse this anonymity uh, as a means of uh, transferring funds and so on uh, also, also avoiding taxes and, and things of that nature uh, what we are trying to do is uh, this anonymity also causes problems because let's say i've got a valuable asset and and um, uh, let me just pose this question that I always talk to customers about. Let's say John Doe has a car and a house. If I ask John Doe, can you prove that you own your car? He'll say, yeah, I can prove it. It's in the Department of Motor Vehicles. It says John Doe owns this Honda Civic. Okay, now if I go to John Doe and say, do you own this house? He can say, yes, go to the city records or the title company and show John Doe owns 123 Main Street. So there's a property record. But if I ask John Doe, hey, you know what? Do you own uh, this diamond ring uh, or this Rolex watch? There's nothing that says that John Doe owns the diamond ring or Rolex watch that he can prove in a court of law. There's nothing. There's no global registry. So that is one very, very, very big weakness currently uh, in, the, in the marketplace. And your question was, can someone steal my, my NFT? So my point to this is, yes, let's say someone steals your NFT, but at the, as long as we have a global registry which says that this belongs to John Doe and that other person is not John Doe and has to prove that they are John Doe, as long as you put that onus of proof, then you can steal whatever NFT you want, but you still are not the owner. So you cannot really pass it along very easily because whoever is going to take possession of it next is going to say, are you the legitimate owner? And it'll show in the records that you are not. And then that would thwart the purpose of stealing and transferring ownership when, when it's recorded on the blockchain. So 
the NFT, as much as it's linked to blockchain, it's not leveraging blockchain's biggest value, which is a single source of truth. And it does not talk about ownership. It does not talk about ownership because people want the pseudo anonymity to be in, in place, but that also defeats the purpose at the same time. Like if I paid a million dollars for an NFT, I want the records to say that I'm the owner and it does not say that. And so I think of that as a big weakness. And in, in history, we have shown that whenever we go from uh, old technologies or old means of doing business to new means of doing business, we always have to build a bridge. And the bridge is in the old world, not everything might be right, but one or two things are right for sure, which is there is proof of ownership, there are proper titles and so on. And those, those aspects need to manifest in the new world where everything is wild west. Just move this currency from wallet to wallet and you start to own it. That by itself is a very loose set of governance that may not be good because once you lose possession, that means you lose ownership. And that's actually, if you look at it, quite uh, you know, a, a detriment or uh, you know, it's not as strong as it should be on the ownership aspect. Uh, so, so I have the answer to your question. It can be stolen, but, uh, but we need better governance. True, and I and I agree with you that you know the bridge needs to be built. But looks like we are still at a very nascent stage of you know this uh, building the bridge aspect. So that brings me to my next question: Is there a registry for NFTs where we could you know go through uh, anti money laundering you know and uh, know your customer uh, rituals before we actually you know uh, go ahead and actually register saying that this NFT belongs to me and, you know, future, you know, people could actually look at the history and say, yes, this NFT passed from one hand to another hand to another hand. So is there a registry available today or is, is, is there an organization that is building this registry? So this is another good point And one of the areas where, where as a company in Era Objects is focusing on. So we've got one customer called Gem Identity. It has got over $5 billion worth of diamonds, over 700,000 uh, 700, diamonds on the blockchain. Those who are interested can visit Verify My Diamond and there's a daily uh, total of uh, diamonds on the blockchain that's, that is uh, shown. And we've got eight of the top 10 manufacturers and big companies like eBay as partners for selling those diamonds and only mined diamonds, not synthetic diamonds. And we also maintain the provenance of those diamonds. So for example, we are the only diamond registry that I know of, which uh, maintains the ownership and provenance. And when we maintain ownership, we have to also record the KYC AML, which is uh, know your customer and anti-money laundering to prevent bad actors from entering the system, but also to prove that that particular person is the legitimate owner of a diamond. Just like you own your car and your house, you now want a registry to own your diamonds. And this is the place to register. It costs $50 to register. But when you're talking about a, asset which is five thousand or ten thousand dollars it's a very reasonable cost because most of us uh, let's say in the u.s context we drive a car and we pay close to five to six hundred dollars a year uh, in terms of registration for the rights to drive the car uh, so registration in a in a registry which is the department of motor vehicles so same thing here but we are charging fifty dollars one time when you register your ownership so so we have created a registry for ownership of diamonds. Similarly, we will create registry for ownership of other assets and other people will start to develop 
similar registries and that's one of the big use cases of blockchain because that registry is now decentralized it's not it cannot be fudged it cannot be modified in any in any in any way so let me tell you why that is very important so land registries and property registries in many countries the ownership of land and and so on we would think we are in the 21st century that this would be a, a problem that has been solved but in many countries people still continue to usurp land and property and that's because the property records are not uh, well uh, stored and organized and such that um, uh, politicians or uh, you know even those with ransomware or whatever means of illegally acquiring property can usurp property and um, and there is no stopping them so if we have a blockchain based registry that would put an end to this uh, and uh, no one can can just uh, usurp someone's land and property rights uh, become undeniable and so uh, i bring that up as an example only because um, we take for granted that property rights and other rights are you know i own i possess this object that means i own it and and now with blockchain it just solidifies that you really own it and whenever you have to transfer ownership there's a central authority that can see uh, uh, that the ownership has changed and this uh, sort of governance is good because now uh, people cannot usurp people cannot steal uh, even if they steal they cannot um, you know hawk it to someone else uh, because you know there's a old saying possession is 9/10 of the law and that's that's a very old adage in the legal parlance but but that also shows how weak the law is and now with blockchain that that can come to an end possession does not mean ownership and uh, uh, these global registries can can create a um, <clears throat> undeniable um, uh, trail of ownership i think uh for valuable assets uh it becomes very very important we are talking about diamonds we are talking about cars homes uh we are talking about works of art jewelry watches uh, luxury goods of any sort and so on it becomes very important if you are buying some perishable good like you know you go and buy some bananas from the supermarket of course you don't need to establish ownership because it's perishable it's not going to hold any value but for those valuable assets it becomes uh, very very important and i think people begin to realize that uh, global registries are, are important and and net objects uh, nfts are uh, 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 unique in the sense that we we do this registries for you and uh, that will hold your value much longer than the way people are minting nfts elsewhere that's good to hear you know the the fact that the undeniable trail of ownership i think that kind of uh, plays a very important role especially when you're paying you know uh, quite huge amounts for luxury products but going back to one of your uh, you know one of the statements that you made about defi um i am of a vintage where you know we've grown up with uh, regular banking systems where we typically hypothecate uh, physical asset when you want to take a loan so in a world where nft meets decentralized uh, finance 
can nfts be used as collateral uh, for loans yeah so that's a good question and let me just quickly define a decentralized finance a little bit for listeners because i think there's a sort of a lot of uh, confusion around this concept so decentralized finance you know uh, finance by itself is uh, currently controlled by institutions banks um, lending companies finance companies uh, and so on but decentralized finance if you sort of like break it down involves the following 10 categories asset management compliance analytics and risk management derivatives and synthetic assets infrastructure development uh, payment solutions borrowing and lending insurance digital identity and also decentralized organizations so you brought about this concept of lending so lending is one of the defi uh, sort of uh, prongs or uh, dimensions so when you talk about about uh, money there's always borrowing and lending it just uh, it's a age old concept which goes back hundreds of years to the uh, origins of money and so when we talk about nfts which is a store of value then we want to see whether one can not only buy and sell nfts but also borrow and lend against nfts so this is an area which is underserved and net objects is taking a leadership position in this particular area and partnering with certain institutions uh, which are lending institutions to kind of lend against nfts so let's say you buy an nft and uh, that nft is tied to some piece of uh, artwork and now let's say that that artwork is worth a million bucks so the nft is worth a million bucks uh, because the digital representation of the piece of art now um, if i wanted to borrow the lender might say i cannot give you the full 100% value they never do so they could say that okay i give you 60% loan to asset value and so you can now uh, uh, raise 600000 against a million dollar piece of art and then go about your business of using it for whatever purpose that you might have at hand so uh, we are starting to do this sort of a concept in the diamond market uh, <clears throat> with loans ranging from let's say 5000 and up and partnering with uh, financial institutions so even though we are a diamond registry at the core that is simply a uh, <clears throat> building block towards what we are really we are asset based lending defi institution uh in the case of uh, gem identity which is one of our joint venture partners got that which then brings me to my next question uh, we heard about diamonds we heard <laughs> about properties uh what is your advice on nft strategies for global brands which are in the luxury segment so for global brands in the luxury segment um i think uh we are in the midst of something very very significant and i think if uh, people sort of don't pay attention you could miss a huge opportunity and uh, let me define that opportunity a little bit more so what's happening is we are almost living in a area where there are in a in a in a era not area but a era where there are two parallel economies going on 
the um, actually there are three but I'll, I'll mention the third in in jest because we all know it there but we cannot talk about it that much is the underground cash economy of you know people who don't want to deal in bank accounts and so on because a lot of that tends to be sort of underground or uh, unsavory activities but those players unfortunately are in the crypto market but the two economies are you know you, you have your regular banking economy and you have this new uh, defi or decentralized finance economy and you so let me give you a very very quick example so someone granted net objects a $50000 grant so this granting organization transferred the money to us from their wallet to our wallet is in the form of cryptocurrency it took 3 seconds to transfer the money from australia to america once i had possession of the cryptocurrency i had to now convert it to cash because i have to pay employees and vendors and other things as a business so i said to myself what do i do then i transferred it to one of our accounts in a in a financial institution called circle and circle is kind of unique in the sense that it plays two sides on one side is the it takes in crypto and the other side it can convert it into uh, a bank transaction so circle is almost like the conduit between the old world and the new world it is uh, really unique so i moved our money for 50000 into circle it took 3 seconds now now circle had to move the money from crypto into my bank of america account for net objects that took 3 days and therein lies the problem the old economy is uh like uh you know a bullock cart it's moving at 3 day speed crypto economy is moving at light speed 3 seconds so this is why the old economy will fail ultimately so the old economy companies will start to diminish because ultimately the world cannot run at 3 days or 3 seconds it's a multiple orders of magnitude difference in terms of speed and other things so why are we are talking about luxury brands now so i gave you an example of how money gets moved and moved at 3 seconds and so on now for luxury brands or any brand which is operating in the old economy now they have to make a decision do i continue operating in the old economy or do i start to take this new economy seriously and move my brand towards the new economy so what does the new economy represent <clears throat> that means if i have a handbag i'm louis vuitton or i'm hermes in france i want to now um, uh, you know transact with my handbag the handbag is a physical object now does the physical object have a digital twin and that's why net objects at the very fundamental core is a bridging technology to take a physical object and make it a digital twin just like you have a facebook account which is a digital twin of you these inanimate objects will have digital twins now the digital twin what it does it it is linked to a blockchain and it will keep a record of this handbag to say that who's the owner when it was manufactured is new or it's used is genuine or uh, fake all of this information can be captured in the blockchain so what happens is 
you buy the Amaze bag or the uh, Louis Vuitton bag, and now you can prove ownership. And tomorrow, when you want to sell it, the resale value will be even higher. Um, when you start to have a provenance of where it came from, the history of ownership, and all of these things, that also makes it exclusive. The reason why you have knockoffs, so let's say that I was in New York City not long ago, and it was very hilarious because this knockoff guy was, uh, you know, had, had set up his shop literally on the floor outside of a major brand. And I was, <laughs> I was just appalled. Like this outside the door, this guy selling the same handbag, which looks the same. It's a knockoff from Hong Kong or whatever. And he's selling it just outside the store. And the brand has got no way to prove because it looks identical. So what is... If you are a brand and you are a big brand, and what really is the is the difference? The difference is, yeah, you can say the material is different, but for the untrained eye, the material difference may not be that much. And one costs 50 bucks and one costs uh, $1,000. Then someone would say, if it's inferior by 10%, I'll take it because who cares? 50 bucks is better than 1,000. So brand is hanging on to a name. So the name might be Armani, Hermes, uh, uh, Louis Vuitton, whatnot. And that name value uh, is uh, the brand equity has to be tangible. Uh, the only way they're making it tangible is they're just painting uh, LVMH on their, on their handbag or uh, putting their brand name on their goods. But the knockoff guy is doing the same. So that is not good enough. And then, and then uh, they are, you know, giving you a certificate of authenticity, but that certificate is not registered anywhere. And the knockoff guy can copy the same certificate as a piece of paper. So, what can a brand do to kind of uh, have a bigger hold over their asset? And that would be a record on blockchain. So that is what we are talking about. And also inside the fabric of the materials, we are putting a tag to link the physical handbag to the blockchain record. So with these two uh, very important um, links, the knockoff people cannot uh, cop uh, copy that. Then you have a kind of, a, you can then say that this is the original uh, genuine branded product and this is the fake one. And that's why I am thousand bucks and you are 50 bucks. So, so you need those kind of, uh, uh, differentiators and that's what that's what we suggest that brands do when they issue these nfts and so on they have to get into the marketplace um, for the reasons why their whole business is being disrupted but also that's the right way of doing it and then we are advising companies on how to go about doing it that's very interesting with almost about 47 million uh, high net worth individuals across the world I think it makes a lot of sense for brands to invest in a proper NFT strategy if they were to look at attracting this young millionaires, billionaires to still have brand loyalties with them. Uh, very interesting, Rabu. So what are the two or three trends that one needs to kind of, you know, uh, keep a lookout or what do you foresee as a, uh, you know, top two or three trends in the NFT area? So I think, like what I said, this concept of ownership will become big. The concept of 
unfortunately counterfeiting will become big and so we need anti-counterfeiting measures i think that's going to be very big and the third one which i think a lot of people are not paying attention to that we have taken uh, kind of extreme interest in is uh, one of uh, how an nft is being priced so there are literally two pricing models one is a fixed price and one is um, auction those are the two models that people are using but there's a third one which is uh, people are ignoring and that's what we are starting to do and the third model is something called dynamic pricing so in dynamic pricing what we're doing is uh, it is pricing that is based on scarcity and also based on supply and demand so so let's say that i give you a limited edition uh, uh, book which is signed by the author the book might be printed like a thousand times, but there's a limited edition which is signed by the author. There might only be 10 of them. So now what happens is um, uh, how do I uh, market these 10 uh, and, and what do I price these 10 uh, limited edition uh, books at? So, so I actually got this idea from an art gallery that I visited in Vegas not long ago. And I went up to this art gallery and they have some limited edition uh, artwork, which is a lighting based artwork, like the inks, uh, uh, you know, are luminescent ink and so on. So the artwork looks different under different light conditions and so on. So I asked the person there, how much does art go for? And he said, you know, we only print 25, uh, 250 of these worldwide and they're quite expensive. I said, okay, tell me the price. And he said, it's 6,000 bucks a piece. I said, okay, that's not bad, $6,000. You know, it's not like someone asking me a million dollars. But he said, wait, that's $6,000 when we start selling the first one. But then as the number of these pieces reduces in the market, let's say out of the 250 pieces that they produce, 240 are sold, there's only 10 pieces left or only 100 pieces left, the scarcity will start to raise the price. So the first piece might be 6,000. The last piece might sell for quarter million dollars. And along the way, because of scarcity, the price changes in value. So I said, wow, that's an interesting model. So those are types of interesting models that I think we could see happen in the NFT space as well, where if you have limited uh, edition uh, objects, they can be sold at, at uh, different price points. And I think I think we'll that's an area that the current NFT models are ignoring. So there are a few areas that people are ignoring that we feel that we can make a huge difference and add a lot of value as a company. That's very interesting. So as as a last question from my side, uh, I know you have spoken about net objects throughout this conversation, but just to wrap up, could you? Uh, you know, just take us through how brands could leverage the NetObjects platform to develop their own NFT strategy. If you could give us one example of, uh, you don't have to really take the brand name, but you know, how a particular brand is kind of taking this NFT strategy to the next level. So currently uh, there is a sports uh, network and there is a car auctioneer that we are talking to. So both of these uh, represent branded or a name brand. Uh, in the case of Sports Network, they've got name brand soccer teams. In the case of Car Auctioneer, they are one of the largest in the world. 
and um, they have a lot of car assets that they are selling through the auction network. Now, <clears throat> for us as a company, um, uh, how are we impacting their business? So in both cases, both of them have got assets. In the case of the soccer teams and so on, the assets are images, likeness of their stars, uh, each of the teams that they represent have got a uh, brand equity. And so these assets are latent assets. Just imagine you've got assets lying around your house, not producing any income, and you could, um, you could start to generate income from them. Wouldn't you want to do that as a soccer team or as a, um, uh, as a network with a lot of... Uh, uh, or what do you call it, like a car auctioneer with a lot of car assets, I would definitely welcome the opportunity to generate income out of my uh, latent assets, just sitting idle. So we are telling these brands, like, you know, you can let it sit idle if you want to, but you can also start to um, monetize them. And uh, let me show you how to monetize them. So we are helping these brands um, monetize their assets and uh, that gives them a new revenue stream without putting in a lot of capital. So I think that's very attractive to a lot of the brands, especially those with digital assets. Uh, for physical assets, it's more of brand protection and also uh, creating a more of a cachet around their brands such that when you buy a very expensive handbag or something like that, um, part of the um, uh, appeal is now you've got this um, record on blockchain and you've got this kind of passport of ownership and all of the accoutrements that come along with buying the branded good versus something mm -hmm. which is not branded. So it's a bit more exclusive and creates, uh, you know, uh, manifest the brand equity in a way that was not possible before in a global registry. So that's the, uh, for the physical goods, that's what we think the opportunity in the NFT space. Thank you, Raghu. Thank you for spending a lot of time with us and taking our listeners through, you know, uh, everything that they would want to know about non-fungible tokens. And if we have more questions, we'll probably circle back to you and uh, record another podcast. But uh, this has been a very interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you and appreciate the, uh, the, the call and uh... And uh, welcome listeners to contact NetObjects and we can go through a brand strategy for your independent organizations. And, and uh, I think it'll be a fun space to get into. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast on NFTs. Do you have a question or a feedback about the podcast itself? Do drop us a note at marketing at netobjects.com and we would love to hear from you.